Welcome to Enscope, the healthcare security podcast. Each episode, we bring you interviews, technical tips, and a unique point of view on the challenges facing the ever-changing healthcare ecosystem. Here's your host, Mike Murray. And welcome to this episode of InScope, the healthcare security podcast. As always, I'm Mike Murray. And as always, I'm excited to have a guest, but this one's particularly interesting. Um, with us today is Maxie Reynolds, who's someone that I've just gotten to know, but one of the most diverse thinkers, and you're going to find this out as we go through the podcast, that I've happened to meet in the, in the past couple of years. And I really just have a million questions. So Maxie wrote a book recently called The Art of Attack that is absolutely phenomenal. As I told her before we started, I read the whole thing cover to cover and I have a million questions. But but before we get there, Maxie, do you want to introduce yourself and tell the world about you? Well, you've set me up for failure. You've just said I'm like <laughs> infinitely interesting. Damn it, Mike. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I I am of average interest. No, um, sorry. My name is obviously Maxie Reynolds and I am... I have a diverse background. I was an ROV pilot for for a long time, for about a decade. And that is remotely operated vehicles. So I was a subsea engineer. We built robots, essentially, put them to the bottom of the ocean, had a look around. Um, we surveyed things like pipelines and uh, wellheads, like offshore infrastructure. And then I started to change over and go towards cybersecurity. And I had a few mishaps. I shut down an entire city's water supply before, which was a brilliant move. Got arrested as a Russian spy. A few things like that. And then I came back to America where I thought I was going to be safer and I was not. I got into social engineering um, with a, a company that sort of is one of the only companies to do what it does. And so we were breaking into places as essentially corporate spies and it was fun. It was good. You got chased with guns and weapons and <laughs> you did volley over fences. That was great. And then my body started to get a little bit old for those things. And I decided to go back to my roots in subsea engineering. And so right now what I'm doing is um, subsea data centers. I'm starting to build, deploy and maintain subsea data centers. So... I don't know if that's interesting to anyone else, but let's see. Let's see what the feedback is. Well, it's it's definitely interesting to me. But be Good. before you got to subsea data centers again, yeah, yeah, you decided to write a book about this. I did. Why did you decide to write this book? So, I it's, that's a really in depth question for me, and I know it's probably it should be succinct. But what happened was I was you know, cast into this world where we were constantly defending against attackers. And the question that always sprung to mind was, well, like, who are these attackers? Like, I don't understand enough. I know what they're doing. I know why they're doing it. But who am I really fighting against here? And nobody sort of could answer the question. And But everyone talked about attacker mindset. And so I started to think about that and I'm kind of a disciplined thinker when I need to be. So I, I went in deep on that, like, okay, what are attackers doing? And they were doing exactly what I was doing, but for bad. And so I started to answer some of these questions that I myself had sort of come up with and finally thought, okay, I get it. I get what an attacker is. I get their objectives. I I think I can broadly categorize them 
so that no matter where you are, what industry you're in, whether it's healthcare or cars or aeroplanes, like aeronautical, it doesn't matter. You can think about what an attacker wants from you, which is really the most important thing, what they can do to you um, and how you can fend against that by finding out how they think. So that was kind of the, the basis of the book. And no one else had done this before and I didn't know why and as a human and as as someone who sort of suffers from like anxiety sort of self-anxiety I was thinking have people not done this for a reason am I an idiot am I walking into something here and (laughs) but no it was just no one had written it yet so it, it was it was interesting. It was it was good in some ways. I got to write. There was there was no one to say you're wrong on this, and there was you know there's no literature before to say well, actually that's completely wrong. But at the same time, there was no place to take information from. <laughs> there was no place to go and check if I was right, if my thinking was right. I have to say, having read it, as I said, I actually think most of your thinking was right. And maybe we should start out with telling the listeners a little bit about what they should expect. And specifically, you you frame the book around four laws. Do you want to walk us through them? Absolutely. So I will sort of start out by saying that you don't need to know, there are skills and there are laws, and you don't need to know the skills to understand the laws, and you don't need to know the laws to use the skills. So keep that sort of in mind. The first law is to start with the end in mind. Any attacker will do that, right? They have an objective. They form that and everything else hinges off of that. The second law is actually to continually gather information and leverage it and weaponize it as you go. So it's not just gather information before the attack, it's to keep gathering information as you go in the attack and keep using it. It's sort of your your bullets, if you want, as an attacker. You, you keep using that information, keep using it against your target environment. And then the third law is that you never break pretext. You never show yourself as a threat. It's, it's an interesting one, but basically a pretext, it, it shields you from being seen as a threat. And that can be through you know, how you disguise yourself as traffic on a network. And it could be if you walk into a bank as a banker rather than a robber. But you really are a robber, but let's just go in as the banker sort of thing. You never show yourself as a threat. And the fourth law is actually kind of subtle, but it, but it really does matter. It means everything that you do is for the good of the objective. You can't get too interested in other things. You have to keep your mind's eye on the objective. You have to keep going towards that, keep trying to fulfill it sort of thing. I see a lot of the time when I go out into the field with other social engineers or other hackers, ethical hackers, that they get so interested in things that have nothing to do with us. That's not an objective. Yes, it's very interesting. I also want to see, you know, whatever it is, but like, come on, head back in the game. So those are the four laws and I'll quickly say the the skills as long as you don't mind. The skills are you have to have curiosity, you have to be curious, you have to have persistence, your curiosity will not pay off without persistence. You have to be able to process information because it goes back to the first and second law, which is, you know, you have to have the objective and you have to be gathering information all the time on that to make the objective possible. You need mental agility, which is just a fancy way of saying 
process the information in ways that are creative, I suppose. And then you have to have self-awareness. The self-awareness is particularly important if you're going in in person. If I was to walk into a prison as a guard, you're trying to get into prisons, which we've done before, nobody's going to believe that. I have to go in as the delivery person. I look 15 years old with, like, yeah, and I speak like I'm 15 years old. It's just never going to work. So you have to have that that level of self-awareness to, to know where you are bound and where you will accelerate. So as someone that's done a whole bunch of this myself, yeah. and, and I don't think that the audience necessarily knows that, that I've done a lot of social engineering in my day. <laughs> wow, I sound old. Back in my day, <laughs> back, back when I wasn't this old guy who does company <laughs> stuff. Um, but yeah. Uh, no, what I was going to say is one of the things that I think is really wonderful that you that you talked about a lot in the uh, about doing a lot in the book, but you didn't specifically call this out, is that the third and fourth law really are reinforcing and allow you to break the rules, right? You, you know, law <laughs> yes. three being never break pretext, and then you talk about all the times when you switch pretext within yeah. the context of an engagement, right? Yeah, and I think that that's a hard thing for most people to understand that the art of of this is keeping outcome focused so well that you're willing to break the laws in order to do it. That's There's an interesting one with that in particular. So the third law, it has this subtlety to it. When I'm breaking one pretext to go into another, I still do not show myself as a threat, but I have just broken my own law sort of thing. It's it's really interesting. You'll see hackers do that on networks. They, they pivot all the time so as not to be caught it's the opposite of what children do. It's, you know, when you catch a child doing something so they stand still, they're like, I don't know how the fancy ball got on the lamp. I've I've no idea. I don't know how the dog got, like, dessert. No idea, mum. It must have opened the fridge itself. They don't switch quickly enough. And I use children as an example because they're hilarious, but also because they don't have the same agility that we do. So it's it's really interesting to see people try these four laws and try to sort of keep them continuous in their practice it is really difficult I admit for people who haven't done it before it's a really hard thing people come into that to that profession whether it's penetration testing on a network or whether it's attacking physically and in the in the real world and in my experience, the hardest thing for those people is the is to get the understanding of mental agility and and to not be dogmatic about the way they approach things. Yeah, I think that that's that's very true. There is a sort of there is this dogmatic side of being an attacker, but it but it oh, I don't know if this is this is just going to sound very very dumb. Maybe, but <laughs> let's see, shall we? There's a sort of stoicism to this this mindset, right? And it's it's basically like an undertone that allows versatility. So stoics think about the worst case scenarios and they do that because they know that setbacks are a fact of life. Unexpected blows actually sometimes mostly feel the heaviest and feel the worst. You can't prevent something that you're unaware of and you have to be prepared because you have to see opportunity where others see obstacles. That is how attackers think as well. And 
you know, I'm giving you a set of parameters and saying be creative within these. And that's really difficult for most people. Most people want to think their own creative way and be agile, however it is natural to them. And you may have a very slight amount of mental agility. My partner has a very slight amount of mental agility, but he navigates his way through life by following the algorithm and he follows it very well. Whereas I get through life dodging that. My mental agility is <laughs> scary. It's seeking this balance to be agile and to be able to look at information, take it the way that other people cannot. It's it's a really delicate balance because you also have to be able to think about all the things that you don't know. You have to be able to think about what happens if you do get caught. You have to be able to think about the opposites of those, which are when you get your objective, when you catch the client out, there's all of these things that go into it. And so it's this really, again, delicate balance. And um, it's a very strange thought process. The other thing that I would say is attacker mindset as I see it is actually also paradoxically everywhere in the world lawyers have it athletes have it it's it's most commonly referred to I think as expertise it's a way of of knowing your environment so well that you're that you're not afraid of the setbacks you're not afraid of the unexpected blows you know that things can jump out at you and, and you can be caught off guard but you're not scared of that environment. You're not scared to, you're not scared of a little bit of adventure, I suppose. And you can't be for our job. I mean, so you you did it physically, I will assume. And how long did it take you to settle into the role, so to speak? I think like you, I came to it with a lot of those skills. I, I have, I, and and I've been breaking into computers since I was in college so so the mindset around how to do that makes yeah. sense to me yeah and then it was just a skill set after that and it's really difficult this is sort of who the book is written for it's not really written for us i think right you and i read it and go well obviously and but the skills that we have that we developed through for you know whichever reasons we did they're part of our our identity I think we it's I can't separate myself from the way I think but most people I, I and I say most people I really think the majority of people do not think like us but there is a chance for you to and again it begins with curiosity persistence mental agility self-awareness and being able to process the information right in between there so it's it's a book that I honestly think if you're not familiar with our line of work that you'll have to read a couple of times and highlight like crazy. Um, the information's there. You just have to learn actually how to use the information from it. But it is there. It does exist. And then there are people who will help you. Did you did you have help? Did you have like mentors? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Other people who make it okay to think the way that we do is very helpful. It's really really helpful because I often see the world. Not bleakly, not bleakly at all, but I see information and can figure out quite quickly how it can hurt an organisation or a person. And not everyone does. It's just not normal. So, yeah. 
And and with that, you set yourself up. Yeah, I did. I see your you face. You totally set yourself <laughs> up because. And I told you we were going to do this yeah. beforehand. And, and 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 because I think I think you you said something really important. Most people don't really understand the way attackers think, and I even especially when I talk to a lot of our healthcare customers and and the people in healthcare, I, everyone understands why you would why you would deploy ransomware. You know, there's yeah. a monetary value there, yeah. but. But I find, and even people in in security in our line of work, especially when I talk about health records, they they don't necessarily understand why you would steal someone's health information. And so I figured it might be a fun game for us to play. I, I've got some yeah. answers for this. Okay, I told good. you, but I'd love yeah. to hear. Yeah, I'd love to hear what you, you know. Suppose suppose the objective. Well, and and this is this is really a poorly formed objective mm-hmm. because I'm going to say the objective is to steal health records, but that's actually never your objective your objective is never to do to acquire an asset it's what you want to do with that asset exactly exactly right yeah you don't go shopping just for the items you go shopping for the items to then eat the items it's it's the middle step um god that was a bad analogy but keep no, that it in so people get um so attacker mindset is, is honestly and I, I know we've been all around the houses about what it is what you need but if I had to distill it into something really succinct, I would say that it is really nothing more or less than taking information in and applying it to the objective. You need the information, you need the objective, then what do you do? Health information for me, I listed in the book as elite information and I fully believe it because you cannot change it. I can't change my blood type. I can't change any injuries I've had, any men- mental illnesses I may have. And those can be used against me for my entire life. That's scary to me. And we are heading, we are in that place. It's just like the future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Um, And I mean that for the bad of the saying, not the good. It's so, healthcare information is elite information always. And if I get information on someone's mental state or that they have suffered from something, I get to contact them about that. And I get to know something so sort of inherent and so uh, personal to them that they are likely to respond to me. I get to use that against them so I can pretend to be them. Um, and it's not, it's so much more than their bank account information. I can go and get as many bank accounts as I want. I cannot go and get a new brain. I worried about the internet of things and put in medical devices on there. I'm worried that my dad, who's had, he's only 50 years old and has had a heart attack and and has a pacemaker now. I am worried that someone could use him against me, which, you know, that's, is that something from a movie? You may think so, but it's actually not. (laughs) That's possible. And so I'm, I'm terrified of that. His device if connected to the internet, could could literally be used against me. And so that was a bleak way to go, but it's still <laughs> true. <laughs> um, you can always count on me to ruin something magical. <laughs> no, actually, I, I think you 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 said all of the really important stuff there. I the one that the the one that I find that people fail to think about the most is how useful your health information is to blackmail you, yeah. right? And you use yeah. mental health and the stigma against yeah. that. But I, I always use I always use a trite but kind of painful, very cringy example of, you know, uh, imagine that you're married and, and your medical record shows that you just started taking a bunch of STD tests. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. It, what could I infer from that about your life and what could I do with that information? And and we know that there are nation states and, and you know, specifically China, but others as well, that have long used their intelligence service as, you know, fundamentally one of the targets was to gather information that could be used to turn or to leverage against potential agents in a country. Yep. Well, health, health records are phenomenal for that. And we, we spend all our time talking about ransomware. And what I loved about your book is your book w- will open people's minds to be able to, for them to think, oh, well, why would I want to break into this medical device? Because so few people like at, that I talk to, if you know, they don't really understand why you would want to compromise a hospital. No one does. It's 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 so it plays into. Now I'm not against the media. I'm, I'm, that's not where this is going. It <laughs> plays into the media's narrative, though, that hackers are just pests and menaces and they're just trying to get in our way a little bit um so they're you know trying to destroy our hospitals it's so much more than that it's not a bunch of kids sitting around their basements in hoodies trying to f up some hospitals it's 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 so much more than that there's a really good book on chinese espionage and i think it may intuitively be called chinese espionage and in it it talks about china specifically you're so right if China and Russia had to steal a thousand grains of sand from a beach in America, they, Russia would show up in the middle of the night in a submarine, sh- shovel it in and be on their way. China would send a thousand agents to pick one grain each and then use it you know, against us somehow later. And I see that when I have applied to non-profits and things they want to know my background and I'm so happy to give them that but they never ask for my mental health records um if they did and there was something on there that I'd suffered from something that lesions hemorrhages mental health something like that that could so much more easily be used against me because people are far more private about that because of the stigmas than they are like my debt go ahead I'm just hoping someone pays it for me (laughs) like (laughs) I'll start a crowdfund um but there's nothing that can be done about this information that exists because of my DNA and so it's 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 very um, overwhelming to think about, but very underrated out there in terms of what we put out there in information in cybersecurity worlds. So have you ever considered, this just crossed my mind and I hadn't planned to ask you this, but uh, have you ever considered that people who think this way, that the majority of people don't think this way because it lends you, it it takes you to a very dark place? I I, I talk, I, I often say like, I think the difference between people who are in our field and normal everyday people is is when you can see it when they walk into a casino in Vegas. 90% of the people on the planet, when they walk into a casino in Vegas, they see the lights and the blinking and all of the machines. And I can pretty much guarantee, even though you and I have never been in the same room, that when you walk into a casino in Vegas, you can tell me where every camera is because I can tell you where every camera is. Exactly. Observation is key. And most people learn to stop observing because it doesn't what good does it do you to observe more than is needed to get around your daily life so I have to let the majority of people off for that and then there's the secondary thing that that's more annoying more sort of pernicious and and pervasive which is that people do not have the attention span or, or maybe curiosity to learn about how to help themselves based on what is overwhelming so when I tell my 
mum and dad about these things in their mind and and to me in very Scots language they'll say (laughs) you like we don't care there's nothing we can do about it there is there's so much you can do about it but it takes education and it takes curiosity and persistence to want to do something about it and for those who who don't want to fine we will try to do it for you but you are so much better defending yourself than we are so you said something earlier that I think is so interesting. As you were walking through the laws and the skills, all I could think about was that they are exactly the same laws and skills that make a good startup founder. And I know you're at the beginning <laughs> of a new startup journey. Yes. And I mean, literally, those everything you talked about, even, even the idea of like people wanting to get distracted on the way to the objective, that's that's pretty much five of my conversations every day. <laughs> hey, we could do this. Yeah, I know we could, we could. do that. We, yeah. we could do anything, right? We, but, but, the, but we're going this way, yeah. we're, you know, we're not going that way. So I'd love to hear how you, how you think this serves you as a startup founder as well. It serves me throughout life, everywhere. It's the, it's the, the, the curiosity and persistence things, the, that list of things uh, imagine a pilot not having them and you're, you're flying over America and they're like yeah we're going to New York you know what guys we had a change of heart and now we're in like Florida you'd be like no of all the places <laughs> it's so you so you're right as a as a founder of a company you more than anyone have to be steadfast and you, but you still have to remain curious right and persistence pays off big time even when you really just want to lie down and have a little cry um but I've found that that my curiosity is actually my driving force in life, and it goes against me. I I am a curious sort, but but what that does is actually alienates a lot of people. I find it difficult to have mainstream conversations a lot of the time, and not because I'm not interested, just because when someone says something that is that is somewhat mainstream and normal, it threads a needle of something I've read or seen or been thinking of somewhere and I take them there and they're like, oh, for God's sake, like, do we have to? So so it, it does go against me, but just not at work. You're laughing. Does this happen to you or are you just laughing at me? <laughs> Every single day. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I, yeah, I, I think that, that that it's part of my own neurodiversity that leads me in all of those same directions. And we talked about that when we when we chatted last. I know you're busy. You're starting a new startup. First of all, tell us about the new startup because I think it's friggin' cool. And and it has nothing to do with security, but it's so cool <laughs> that we just have to talk about it. I can tie it into security. Watch me. Um, okay. <laughs> so basically what I am currently doing, I as a subsea engineer coming out of social engineering I was trying to get I was very much trying to get back into that and I was thinking about the largest problems that we have and having broken into some data centers in my time I know I I knew how easy it was it's so easy god you don't even really have to physically go in a drone that can carry a payload will do a lot for you bad cybersecurity will do everything for you but also you can physically get into these places and it's game over and as a subsea engineer, I started like at this strange intersection where I was like, imagine I could put those underwater. That would be great. So I went off on this little journey and uh, come up with, they're essentially units, pods that fit just about 800 servers into them. And I can put them down to 12,000 feet. And I would love like a little one-on-one with even 
put in at that point to like go down and get that. You can't do it with divers. You're going to need some very disruptive equipment. You can't do it with a submarine. They don't go deep enough. So you're going to need a vessel and those are very trackable. So there's that side of security. It takes care of a lot of the physical side of security. And what I'm finding is that a lot of military industries want to use these for their physical security. But what they do for us, for you and me, for everyone listening, is they cut latency down by 95% because a lot of the world's population is coastal. They also, which I'm probably most proud of, um, they cut carbon emissions by 40% because data centres are the world's largest consuming asset class. And they, they stop carbon emissions by 40%, which is... You know, I'm I'm glad of that. It didn't get me funded, but I'm but I'm happy that it's happening. <laughs> um, and so it's it's a really interesting journey. I don't think I'll do it forever. I don't think I've got that in me. It's again where my mindset goes against me. In ten years' time, I might still be in the know. I might still be involved, but there's no way I'm running it because I've done it now. I want I want to do something else. I yeah. So questions on that <laughs> I, I, I have a I have a million but we'll save them for uh, for some conversation with Phil over scotch okay perfect um, so with that Maxi where can people find more of you where how do how do we find how do we find you on the socials out in the world uh, you know oh, if God. we just want to hear more about you I just just started being what's the word um um, I just started getting active on Twitter, so I'm there. I don't know. I don't know what's cool to say. I don't know what's uncool to say. I'm still like I feel like 12 years old again. So forgive me. Um, I'm I'm half on half off of Instagram. I post OSINT challenges there for those of you who either know what OSINT is already, which is open source information gathering, or for those of you who have read the book or want to read the book, there's. There's chapters about OSINT in there and how to do it. On my Instagram, I, I often post images that, you, that um, you're to find information about. Um, and I'm on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn's a really good place to get me if you're looking for help, mentorship. Um, I can put you towards the right people. Don't ask me for it. Um, there's just no way you'll, you'll need that. Um, but it's a really good place to get me to respond. I respond quickly there. Maxie, thank you so much thank for uh, joining us today. This has been awesome. I can't wait to see where you go with this and and what yeah. you do next. Let's and see. Uh, I'm, yeah, let's <laughs> literally let's see. And and so with that, this has been another episode of InScope. Thank you so much, Maxie. And uh, hopefully everybody does your OSINT challenges and uh, and we hear more from you again. Thank you so much for having me. It was so nice. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of InScope. To make sure you never miss an episode, hop on over to www.scopesecurity.com to sign up. Or you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you have ideas for topics, guests, or technical tips, please contact us at podcast at scopesecurity.com.